0: Hello listeners, this is Jade and Rebecca. Welcome to the Responsible Business Podcast. Each month, we invite experts who will be sharing their knowledge and experience in order to give us a better understanding of the challenges and opportunities faced by businesses tackling climate change. We are very happy to welcome Marcus Godard, Partner and VP Intelligence at Netexplo, the global observatory on digital society based in Paris. Marcus regularly gives talks on the effects of the digital revolution for multinational corporations or leading universities such as HEC in Paris. In today's episode, we will discuss in greater details how technologies can be used to address environmental sustainability.
1: Hello Marcus, thank you for coming to our podcast. Today we'll talk about technology and how it can be repurposed for sustainability. And as the importance of sustainability increases and technology becomes an essential part of our daily lives, this topic has become essential and it's important to talk about it. So in your research at NetExplor, you start the discussion with a concept called thermorphing. Can you explain what TerraMorphing is and what is the connection to businesses?
0: Sure. Well, thanks for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to share our work at NetExplo. Um Let me tell you how this, the concept of TerraMorphing came about. At the NetExplore Observatory, we've been um, trying to, un, to, um, to spot the underlying trends in tech innovation for the past 12 or 13 years. And in the past two or three years, we, we found ourselves asking the question, what is all this tech for? Um, it is wonderful. We have um, potential to do so many things with it. Uh, but are we using it for the most, uh, the most useful causes for the best purposes? And that's how we came up with this concept called terraforming, which of course refers to terror of the Earth and Morphing change or transformation. And terraforming is basically has two sides. First is an observation and the second is a goal. So just to explain, the observation behind Terra is that the um, the civilizations and the technologies that we've built to enable our survival and our growth uh, and to, to live longer, which have served us, all these technologies have served us so well, but the result now is that they've unbalanced our ecosystem to the point which it's uh, becoming almost unfit for our survival in many places, and they are, and our um, uh, current models, are damaging the environment, destroying biodiversity, and above all, um, creating extreme weather and climate change. So the connection with businesses is that they are in the best possible position to help with the second side of terraforming, which is the goal of reversing that negative impact. So it's the observation that we have changed the planet in a negative way and the goal of changing it in a more positive way in the future. And this is where societies and consumers have great expectations of the business world. And businesses are beginning to recognize this. Almost every major business claims that it is helping sustainable development in some ways. And in many ways, this is true. And there is a growing awareness of this. So that's what Terra is. And that is why businesses have a, a key role to play here.
1: So technology is an excellent tool to help us reach environmental sustainability. And at Explore, you talk about three main paths and or scenarios that technology can support to achieve environmental sustainability. Can you explain what these three scenarios are?
0: Um, so what we do every year is to look at the what we think are the most promising innovations in tech all around the world, uh, from every continent and from whether it's from startups, from NGOs, from, uh, from major businesses, from research labs and to see what could they, what could they be used for? How can they change um, society? How can they change business? And so we, we said how could we repurpose all this technology um, for the benefit of a, of a more sustainable future And we saw basically three ways that this could happen. Uh, The first we call scientific salvation, which means is the most obvious one using technology to um, uh, reverse the negative impact of our societies and our our economies and our habits. The second we call under the influence, which which involves changing people's behaviour and and our habits so that they are less damaging to, to the environment and for the future. And and lastly, um, our third scenario called ground rules is really about changing the model and letting communities drive uh, efforts for a more sustainable future on a more decentralized basis. That's basically the three scenarios, the three ways that we say tech innovations as, as possibly playing a role for a more sustainable future.
1: So we will go more in depth on these scenarios, starting with the first one, which is based on science and the idea that we'll find a solution with new innovations. Can you give some examples of the technology that supports this scenario?
0: In our first scenario, scientific salvation, um, we are looking at uh, mostly uh, state-of-the-art, large-scale innovations, um, in, in cutting-edge areas such as even in um, in geoengineering, for example, which which would involve reversing um, the carbon footprint of our industries, and there's a um, there are several businesses involved in this. There's Climeworks in Switzerland, one of our award winners for 2020, who have created um, a system that sucks carbon out of the atmosphere and then fixes it in rocks or uses it to um, in greenhouses. So it's a technology that has a negative carbon footprint. Um, if you look at how innovation is helping to reduce pollution, um, a fascinating example comes from space because we have uh, polluted the soil, water and air, but even space is full of junk. We need satellites to uh, observe the environment, to bring the internet to areas uh, that uh, they don't have it so they can have access to, to education. But it's very difficult to put all the satellites up there because there's so much debris from, um, uh, from junk satellites from the, that is just hanging around there. And so we, um, you could take the example of Astroscale, which is a Japanese startup that is about to launch its first mission. Um, and Astroscale's idea is to send small satellites into space that through very complicated engineering, lock on to the uh, the junk that's in space and disintegrate together with it through a controlled re-entry into the Earth's orbit. And that's one way of cleaning up space in the way that we also need to clean up um, uh, the, uh, the soil, ground and, and, and air and water. Um, we can also look at high-tech ways, for example, of producing food. Um, there are many startups in this uh, in this area. We, we look particularly at some... Uh, a one called Aleph Farms in Israel that 3D prints meat but that is actual meat because it comes from stem cells from a cow. But Aleph Farms is without cruelty and without pesticides because it's grown in a laboratory. So it's 100% natural ingredients but no animals are harmed in making, uh, in, in making this meat and they even managed to print out a steak to eat on the International Space Station in, in orbit. And, and finally, maybe one of, one of the avenues um, that raises most questions in the scientific salvation scenario, um, it would be in um, genetic research. And a human monkey chimera was created in 2020 for the first time. That is an embryo that is uh, mostly monkey, but a small percentage of human cells. And this is one way of, uh, this is intended probably to grow spare organs for people who need transplants of kidneys or whatever. Uh, but you can imagine a way you can imagine a future not that far away where um, genetic engineering is used to help humans and maybe other animals to adapt to a degraded environment, make us more resistant to heat is something that many areas of the world can um, can need so uh, so those are some of the areas geoengineering genetic engineering 3 um, d printing uh, biotech that maybe can help us uh, use state-of-the-art tech for a more sustainable future.
1: I can imagine that only relying on science and innovations is risky. Can you talk about the limitations of this first scenario?
0: Um, These are um, ambitious, expensive technologies um, that have maybe two main drawbacks. They take a very long time to develop and to to roll out. Uh, And the pace at which the climate is changing and that we're losing species uh is probably too fast to um to roll all those out at the same time although they have an enormous amount of promise particularly on reducing um, temperature increase across across the world and the second uh drawback of a purely tech approach is that only rich countries have access to it um it's no coincidence that these these innovations I mentioned come from come from developed uh, countries, although it's probably developing countries that need them uh, that need them the most. And our efforts, for example, to reduce our carbon footprint, uh, need to be done on a global scale. And so, if we rely just on repairing the damage we've done, it's not enough to make a significant impact in the time frame uh, that is needed. So, I would say the speed and the uh, equality of access to these technologies are the main uh, disadvantages when you rely just on high-tech to save the planet.
1: Definitely, and I think some people rely too much on this first scenario because they don't think that as individuals they can do much and they hope that one innovation will um, just save us all from climate change, for example. But there's also many limitations to this scenario. And this actually brings us to the second scenario, which is based on using technology to change the behavior of people. Can you talk about this scenario and the technologies that can help us achieve it?
0: The second scenario, which, if, if you like, is terraforming by psychology, uh, is called Under the Influence. And so it's, it's fairly clear what we're talking about. We already submit to digital coaches, digital trainers, digital assistants that make decisions for us and help guide us in our everyday habits. The most obvious ones would be uh, fitness wearables like, uh, like Fitbits. Um, but we are also we, are, we all use um, sat-nav uh, GPS uh, tools, uh, ways, Google Maps, whatever, to get us from A to B. We are used to looking at our phones or other devices, basically to tell us what to do, uh, where to go, or at least how to get there. Um, and if you look at um, consumer apps, um, people use um, good guide a like yucca very popular in france to uh, to buy the most healthy things it 's really a very small leap to move from um, uh, shopping for your own benefit to shopping for the planet's uh, the planet 's benefit so um, we were particularly interested this year in um, uh, a project called Duconomy, which comes from Sweden, which uh, is basically a bank card that measures your carbon footprint. And it's been developed by a startup called Duconomy with MasterCard and several banks. And it relies on an index created by by banks in in, in Europe to decide to, to estimate what the carbon footprint of your spending is. If you go to the restaurant, if you buy clothes, on average, how many grams of CO2 CO2, does that that equate to? In one version of this card, and remember, this comes from Sweden. This is the country that brought us flight shaming. Very um, environmentally aware country, and people are very happy to probably to, uh, to signal how environmentally conscious they are, and that's probably a very good thing. In one version of this um, uh, of this setup, your um, payment card will uh, will block itself if you exceed your monthly carbon footprint ceiling. in other words, if on the twentieth of the month, your spending has uh, is more than the average amount um, or more than the ceiling that you want to set, you have to invest in a reforestation project or something like that in order to uh, unblock. Your bank account, in to be able to start spending again. So um, this is one way, and we see other examples that are um, based on, for example, uh, gaming. There's a project at MIT called Enroads, which basically gamifies changing the planet and shows you uh, how the decisions you make on a global scale can affect um, uh, can affect climate change. So these are different ways of making people aware of their particular carbon footprint and the impact of global decisions on the environment. And using technologies that are very similar to what we already use. um, So we already have those habits. It's just a question of maybe repurposing them for, um, for a more sustainable future.
1: So this scenario I think is really interesting because it can raise awareness and more importantly help individuals know how they can change their behavior for the environment. But what are some of the limitations and challenges that this scenario faces?
0: If we start limiting our individual business carbon footprints by having them measured uh, day to day, it's not that far from a more surveillance based system like, for example, the social credit system in China, where everybody has a rating on how good a citizen they are, which can go up or down. If it goes down, you don't have access to as many services. In some ways, um, the, the, ex- the example of economy from Sweden uh, could be taking us down that avenue in a different way in, uh, in, in Western countries. And uh, the second, and so that raises, I think, risks for individual freedom, and also for uh, the freedom of businesses to um, to carry out their activities. We can imagine every business being tracked on its uh, on its carbon footprint with coercive uh, with coercive measures. These are questions we need to we need to think about. And uh, secondly, I would say the other the other limitation is is once again. Uh, equality, because if you want to buy uh, a great big car that, um, uh, that, you know, that pollutes more than average and you can afford it, you can. And maybe uh, if you want to have a big carbon footprint, you just have to pay a little bit more. But that's not really fair. Uh, you can't um, expect change unless everybody comes under the, same, under the same framework. So once again, there's the spectre of inequality. Um, is raised from from this approach and I would say the main drawback of trying to influence everybody's behavior in the same way is that uh, it doesn't take individual or cultural or natural differences to account and although the goals are global uh, maybe the approach and the levers are different for, for different people and for different communities.
1: And this actually leads us to the next scenario, which is based on community-driven change. Can you explain what technologies support this scenario?
0: Our third scenario is, is different from the, maybe from the first year, which are very top-down, powered by technology, uh, powered by software and, and apps. And we call the third scenario, scenario ground rules, which means maybe adapting the solutions to every different, to every context. Um, the first example of that is a very ambitious project called the Amazon Bank of Codes. It's um, uh, created by the WEF, the World Economic Forum. And the idea, uh, there is a global program to record the genome of every species on the planet. And they're starting with the Amazon. The Amazon has given us uh, a great deal of uh, pharmaceuticals that have come from animals and plants in the, in the region. It has uh, given us uh, materials like, like rubber. And it's fair to say that the local environment and, and the indigenous communities have not really benefited from all the progress and all the profit that we have made from um, treating the Amazon as a, as, a, as a global resource. Amazon Bank of Code's idea is to record not only the genomes of uh, every species in the region, but also the behaviour of uh, of animals and plants, which can also be an inspiration for technology. For example, there are um, self-driving car firms that are trying that are studying ants in the Amazon to see how they get around and they don't collide with each other to develop a platform for um, for autonomous vehicles. So the idea of Amazon Bank of Codes is that all becomes intellectual property, and when anybody uses it for a product, a material, or for software, some of the profits go back to the people and the environment in the in the Amazon. So that's a huge project over uh, many years. To, to give another example of the ground rules approach, um, many countries have uh, planted millions of trees over the past year or two, and they've, they've all trumpeted the fact that they've um, planted more in a weekend than anybody else ever has which is great. (laughs) Unfortunately, in many cases, you come back six months later and a lot of the trees are dead because they didn't plant the right species in the right soil at the right time of the year. They didn't take the local specific data into account. Um, There's um, uh, an NGO called Landlife in the Netherlands that um, does great work across the world um, to make sure that reforestation happens. And they do it by working with local communities from Mexico to uh, to Cameroon. They do it by having the right data, which is extremely important here. Um, The data on the soil, on the seasons, on the endemic uh, species of plants that grow best. And so by working with local communities and taking the local data into account, Landlife have carried out many successful um, reforestation projects around the world, bringing trees back, to desert areas that have been barren maybe for um, for decades. And their goal is to plant a billion trees over the next couple of years by having this comprehensive approach that takes the local situation into account. Um, And lastly, ground rules also means maybe factoring in the environment from the design of a product right from the outset, eco-design, and turning local problems into local opportunities. There's a, a startup called Air Inc., in India, in India, there's a huge air pollution problem in cities um, because there are uh, millions of tiny vehicles often running on diesel. And there are also diesel generators because um, sometimes the electricity infrastructure isn't uh, big enough for, for every business. So there's a huge amount of, uh, of pollution from these particles. Air Inc. have, have uh, come up with a system uh, which goes over the exhaust of a diesel generator or engine and turns the, um, the particles into ink that can be used to print uh, for art, to, to make books. So very often we see that um, what is seen as pollution uh, or an environmental problem is also a business opportunity, and it's different in every, uh, every region of the world. Every region of the world has different uh, materials and species and, and problems, and the solutions can be different, even if we all work towards the same... Uh, the same goals. And so it's all about starting from the the problems and the strengths of a particular community and branching out from there to solve global goals. So that's very much the ground rules approach. And we see examples of many different technologies from frugal to high tech around the world that are working towards that um, to that goal under that approach
1: so in a way you involve the citizens that face the issues so for example in India they face pollution every day so they're interested in solving the issue right um, which is good I can imagine but can you talk about the issues with this scenario
0: maybe the um, uh, the disadvantage of this uh, of this scenario is I think a danger that we're seeing all around the world of communities or countries shutting themselves off and only caring about their own uh, problems, which will be counterproductive when you're working on on, uh, on local goals. Because if you take this local approach to extreme, to an extreme, you get a very um, almost survivalist uh, mindset where people want to become so self-reliant, so autonomous um, that they cut themselves off. From the rest of the world and we 're seeing that more and more this year that um, the internet is becoming more and more fragmented and this uh, of course is, is counterproductive and goes against the idea that we need to work together to towards local and um, global goals, even if the, the problems and solutions are handled on a, on a, on a local basis so that 's the main drawback of this of this approach in that um, it can involve Communities or countries shutting themselves off from the rest of the world
1: And Can these three scenarios that we've talked about um, Throughout this podcast go hand in hand?
0: Absolutely, and this is um, uh, it's, it's difficult for maybe one company one city um, To work on all three fronts at the same time um, but if for example you're implementing a high-tech project. If you're turning to science to solve uh, a carbon footprint problem, you mustn't neglect the psychological aspect and you need to get people on board and you need to get people and businesses to change their behaviour to go along with that. Otherwise, it's counterproductive. And you also need to take the local situation into account because it will be perceived and carried out differently everywhere. But it's difficult to to work on all three avenues at the same time. And I think the um, the challenge for businesses is to decide on a priority. Every business says we are pro-sustainable development. I don't think that's enough. Consumers inspect, expect them to show how they are doing it, whether they are concentrating more on biodiversity, on global warming, on pollution. Uh, you can't have one top priority even if you try to address all the issues. And it's the same for these three different approaches. Businesses need to look at how their research and development can go towards uh, a more sustainable future. They need to look at how they use their influence with their employees and with their consumers so that it's more than just a statement, it's more than just advertising, and they actually change the way they do business, the way people consume their products, and the way they design them. And they also maybe need to look at a more decentralized, more global approach that combines global and local, if, uh, if they want their, um, their innovations and their solutions and their new products to be more effective uh, in, the, uh, in the fight against climate change, you have to take every uh, community that uses your product or service, uh, every community where you recruit people, you have to take all of their specificities into account because there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. And so all these three aspects scientific psychological and maybe anthropological have to be taken into account although it's probably more effective if you choose a priority and then make sure you don't neglect the other two
1: definitely and it was really interesting to have you here and hear how technology can help us uh, reach sustainability and to finish off we always ask to our guests uh, two questions and the first one is, what book would you recommend to our listeners?
0: There is the NetExpo TerraMorphing book, which you can download from netexpo.com um, in uh, English and in French, uh, written by uh, Sandrine Catalan and Mathilde Hervieux. Uh And I helped find a lot of the innovations and concepts that are, that are in that book. Um, I think awareness of climate change doesn't come from books so much anymore. Uh, if people haven't got the message now, it's not by... It's not by reading. I think it's more by setting the example and businesses need to set the example and, and, and okay. it's their role to show the way forward rather than waiting for consumers and shareholders to, to force them to do, um, to do so.
1: Perfect. Thank you for sharing. And our last question is, what is your message for the younger generation?
0: Um, so I think... Maybe the one, the one question I would uh, ask to any young entrepreneur is what is the purpose of what you're creating? What is it for? It's not up to us to say you should do this or do that or, or this is a a good reason for doing business. But beyond just growth, whether it's economic growth or population growth, um, you need to ask the question, what is that growth for? What is the purpose? That, was, that would be the, the question yep. that I would ask and it's up to them to answer on me.
1: Thank you for listening to our podcast and see you next time.